You're listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We will be joined by cancer experts to discuss blood cancer diagnosis, treatment, side effects management, and the importance of clinical trials. They will share their experience in treating patients and discuss strategies for optimal patient care. Let's get the conversation started. Welcome to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. My name is Elissa Baldwin, and I am a staff member and special correspondent for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We are live at the Global Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Congress, a gathering of medical professionals and advocates in adolescent and young adult cancer care in Long Beach, California, and are delighted to be joined by one of the presenters, Dr. John Salzman. Dr. Salzman is the Director of Clinical Research in Adolescent and Young Adult, or AYA, Oncology, and the co-leader of the Cancer Prevention and Control Program at the Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist Comprehensive Cancer Center. He is also a professor in the Department of Social Sciences and Health Policy at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine. Today, we will be discussing quality of life in cancer experience of adolescents and young adults, including unique issues that AYAs face, approaches and timing around the right questions that health providers can ask, and clinical resources for physicians and survivors. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Salzman. Thank you, Lisa. Happy to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Of course. So we wanted to discuss your presentation. So your presentation was called Amplifying the Patient Voice in the Assessment of Health-Related Quality of Life, a progress report from the Promise AYA team. So our first question, how do we define quality of life for AYAs? Yeah, so that's such an important question. And when we think about health-related quality of life, we're really thinking about an individual's usual or expected physical, emotional, or social well-being secondary to cancer or its treatment. And there's some important aspects of that definition to keep in mind here. For any individual with cancer, and certainly for AYAs as well, it's subjective, so it's very patient-centered, very patient-driven and it's multi-dimensional yes. so it's not any one thing yes definitely so can you discuss the unique issues that are faced by AYAs so we can think about you know financial distress fertility parenthood that you may not see in of course pediatrics or older patients there's body image intimacy concerns what kinds of things are very unique to the AYA population yeah, I think you really touched on some of the main ones right mm-hmm. there. That was a perfect setup. Right? <laughs> because it's not to say that these th- aspects of health-related quality of life are unimportant at other phases of the lifespan. Certainly, for example, body image and financial hardship or financial toxicity, that can be important across the lifespan. But for an AYA, for a 15 to 39-year-old, when they're in, in that um, critical stage of development, of identity, discovering who they are, and when they're diagnosed with cancer, it can be such an isolating experience. I had a colleague at a prior institution who's a pediatric oncologist who said, welcome to, welcome to the club you never wanted to be a part of. Yes. And so, again, the themes that really emerge that are, I would say, sometimes overlooked when we think about standard health-related quality of life measures, what is overlooked but is of critical importance to 
understand the EY experience are those things that you named, making sure fertility, reproductive health concerns are, are, are being met and addressed, financial hardship because we know that AYs are at disproportionately greater risk of significant levels of financial hardship than older adults with cancer, and you know with body image too because of the normal development that happens. Yes, yes, definitely. Why is it important for healthcare providers to make sure that they are covering these issues with their patients? So that's such a great question, and it's important to address as many of these areas that are disruptive, that impact yes. their potential adherence to treatment, that impact their engagement in care, that impact their mood, body image, fertility, financial hardship. Let me digress a bit when we talk about financial hardship. We know from Dr. Reggie Tucker-Seeley's work and, and others, financial hardship is considered as multidimensional. Again, yes. so if we think health-related quality of life is multidimensional, and then even within these subdomains of health-related quality of life, there's okay. multiple aspects there. So financial hardship has a material, a psychological, and a behavioral component to it. And for individuals that are experiencing a significant amount of financial hardship, that behavioral component might be how they cope with the significant financial aspects. So an AYA who might be thinking about, all right, how do I manage putting food on the table? How do I stay in this job that I need to keep to make sure that I have health insurance? It's going to have significant ripple effects in their life that can impact their engagement in care. If we ignore or don't address financial hardship, financial toxicity as it's often referred to in the clinical literature, we miss our ability to provide the best care possible for patients. Right, and really when we're looking at cancer care in general, not just with AYAs, you really need participation from the patient, right? We need to work on shared decision-making and making sure that they are coming in at the times when they need to, to follow that protocol to make sure that they have the best success. Right, right, and as you know, it can be such a challenge when we talk about shared decision-making because for 15 to 39 year olds, you will have individuals that are at different stages of that process. You'll have individuals that younger AYs who might be prone to deferring some of that decision making might be looking at the, their parents to be engaged, parents or guardians engaged in that process. Some of our research shows that those in the emerging adulthood, so the 18 to 25 year old age range, that can be particularly challenging because there's a healthy part of development that relies on their sense of independence and yet they may also need that support from parents and significant others to help engage that process and to help ensure that they get the treatment that they deserve. Yes, and it also in that age range, you're also looking at patients potentially being in college and away from their families. Maybe they live across the country. What are you looking at with that type of population as far as making sure that they are very involved in their treatment, but also potentially including their caregivers or long-distance caregivers. I think one of the things we often hear from AYAs is they don't know what they don't know. Yes. And so for an AYA that is in that emerging adulthood phase, helping them understand the process of patient navigation, of keeping track of appointments from a financial hardship perspective, of health insurance literacy even. I think of some of Dr. Ann Kirchhoff's work in uh, health insurance literacy as a predictor of financial hardship as a necessary step because AYAs may not know about the difference between co-pays and deductibles and high deductible insurance plans and how that has an impact on them. So for emerging adults when they're in that phase where some of them will still be on their parents insurance 
some of them may be on employer insurance and it's still a they're thrust into a situation where they're navigating an experience that they may be poorly equipped to handle yes so it's providing them resources and information to support and help them get the treatment that they deserve AYAs are at disproportionately greater risk of clinically significant distress psychological distress and what we know about anxiety and distress is information really helps with that and information that's usable and effective so it's providing access to resources it's providing support again I go back to the often AYAs don't know what they don't know and so if you're providing them those opportunities for information if you're assessing where the deficits lie and we can do that with health related quality of life measures is where we see some of the deficits you can provide information and support to address those concerns and get them connected well let's get into quality of life measures so you spoke today on the promise study would you tell us what that is about Yes, so PROMISE is an acronym for the Patient Reported Outcome Measurement Information System. So this is a large-scale initiative from the National Institutes of Health. The work has been spearheaded by Dr. Dave Sella and Dr. Bryce Reeve, and it's really focused on standardizing the measurement of health-related quality of life across three broad domains from the World Health Organization, so physical, emotional, and social well-being. And within each of those domains, there's multiple dimensions of that, of course, that we assess. It's really focused on symptoms and functioning, it uses both classical test theory and item response theory to provide the best measurement approach for AOAs. And when I say best and when I say item response theory, the value of item response theory is it gives you flexibility in measurement, it gives you efficiency in measurement, but it doesn't sacrifice precision. So what that means and why that's important for AYAs, well, for all patients, but especially for AYAs, is Flexibility is there's multiple modes of survey administration. Efficiency with computer adaptive testing, you can use fewer items without sacrificing, again, measurement precision, the validity of your approach. So AYAs, because they have multiple different challenges in their life, including some of the unique concerns for health-related quality of life, having a measurement system that can be delivered in electronic format, for example, because AYAs are digital natives, more than 98% of them have access to the internet or smartphone. And we know that ePROs, electronic PROs, there's less missing data associated with that. It's a preferred format for them. So it's a very efficient way to collect patient-reported health information. So what we do with Promise is we take work that's already been done, this rigorous qualitative and quantitative approach, this combination of classical test theory and item response theory and we identify those areas where we talked about with unique aspects of health related quality of life that promise didn't formally assess body image fertility financial hardship so we're developing item pools and then item banks to assess these domains administer them as computer adaptive tests we have translatability efforts efforts around literacy level to make sure that individuals that have low literacy can understand these questions, that they're meaningful, that they have content uh, validity around them. Measures can be translated in Spanish, scores are meaningful, and the items and the measures that we come up with are inherently patient-driven because we spend so much time making sure that AYAs are included at the table and diverse AYAs are represented in that process. Because AYA is really a broad 
group because when you're looking at 15 year olds to 18 year olds and then you're looking at people in their late 30s I was diagnosed with AML in my late 30s I mean it's very different experience and very different issues that are affecting their quality of life their care between those huge range of ages yeah it's, it's such a great point and it's something that I try to make a point every time that in the work that I do because I recognize the heterogeneity within adolescent and young adult oncology with respect to both developmental stage of life and also with respect to disease type to get representation uh, across both of those areas as well as to get excellent representation with respect to racial and ethnic diversity too because we know that the experiences of AYAs with intersectional identities can be very different yes. from AYAs from majority racial or ethnic groups. So for us, what we do to ensure that we get representation is, is we take our time right. and we recruit for emerging adults, adolescents, and young adults. So for our adolescents, our 15 to 17 year old age subgroup, our emerging adults, 18 to 25, and our young adults, 26 to 39. So we try to have equal representation from each of those groups in equal voices, if you will. Yes. It does lead to some interesting implications for the measurement though, and this is, I didn't mention this during the talk, but when we were talking about financial hardship and we were doing our concept elicitation interviews with our adolescents, they didn't really have a whole lot to say about financial hardship. It, they didn't have a whole lot to say because they were protected or buffered from that experience. Yes, if they're on their parents' insurance and, exactly. or their pain. Exactly. And back to the conversation we were having earlier about emerging adults, sometimes they're buffered from that too. Yes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we realized we're missing an important perspective here. And for every adolescent that we would assent, we would of course get consent from their parent or guardian. And their parent or guardian every single time said, we wish we could tell you our story. So we went back to the NIH, made the case, NIH gave us supplemental funding to go back and do caregiver interviews wow. of adolescents and our emerging adults. So the work that we're doing in financial hardship is really teased apart for both the adolescent and the emerging adult perspective as well. That's really interesting. And it just brings up a good point that all of these different quality of life measures they can be wildly different between the different age groups and then also in inside of each of those measures there can be all these different components as well right 100 percent, and that's one of the things that we've wrestled with in a good way scientifically is how do we build in what we might call a common set of items that we think are meaningful based on the interviews that we've done, based on the qualitative data, based on the future quantitative data that we'll do, how do we make sure that we've got items that are meaningful across the full AYA age range? Mm -hmm. And how do we have enough flexibility so that we can complement those core items with aspects of their experience that are more unique to the younger versus the older AYAs? Yes. And that's, again, that's another beauty, if you will, of the flexible approach of item banking is it's not an either or, it's a both and. So we can have core items, whether it's for fertility or for financial hardship or for body image, that are meaningful across 15 to 39, and yet we know the experience of certain aspects, whether it's fertility or financial hardship in particular. Those were the two areas where, where we yes. saw bigger differences from our adolescents to our young adults. For those, we might have some supplemental items that fit more with one particular age group. Okay. 
So let's delve a little bit more into your presentation today. Okay. Uh, so your presentation was a progress report on the Promise study, and this is a, a very long-term study, correct? Right. So Much longer are, than we hoped it would be. Yes, yes. that happens. Uh, right. So where are we at with the Promise study? Okay, so as with many things in academic research, the progress and plans do not always go according to the initial timeline. Yes. <laughs> and while that's not entirely unsurprising, we didn't want to cut corners. We wanted to make sure that the work was done well. It was important to us. We wanted it done on time, but we wanted to make sure that it was done well. And, and to do it well and to ensure that we had representation by AYA subgroups, by race, ethnicity, by low literacy, individuals by on versus off treatment, and as well as a heterogeneous mix of AYA yes. survivors. So our approach with Promise is this rigorous qualitative and quantitative approach. And with the qualitative approach, when we talk about these domains that are missing, and we, we've said this already, when you look at Promise and you think about the areas that AYAs have identified as significantly disruptive in their life, and I, I mentioned this during the talk about the NCIAYA HOPE study, the three most common areas where you see negative psychosocial disruptions are around body image, fertility, and finances. Yes. And that's true regardless of subgroup from that population-based study. Promise doesn't do that. And so for us, it was important to let's address that gap yeah. and then let's validate existing promise measures for AYs. So the first part of the work that we've been doing to date is the qualitative approach to say, when we think about body image or when we think about fertility, when we think about finances, what do we mean by that? And it's one thing to approach it and say, this is what we know from the academic research literature. Sure, we can, we can sit in our ivory towers all day long right. and do that, and it can be tone deaf if it's not very patient driven. And so that's why we spend a lot of time talking with the patients, getting rich, in-depth, qualitative interviews, not just from the patients, but caregivers when applicable with financial hardship, and also with healthcare providers too. To, so that make sure we've got this 360 degree experience for AYAs. And from those concept elicitation interviews, we identify a map, if you will, of a concept map of these domains that have individual dimensions. So three different points that I talked about with Promise Away was the concept elicitation interviews. So we identified the gaps. We made sure we had a good understanding of what we mean by those domains of health-related quality of life and what subdomains or dimensions of body image, fertility, finances are important to AYAs, what really emerged. And then we thought about, okay, for each of these areas that are important to AYAs, is there anything in the existing literature that we can piggyback off? Is there anything in the public domain? And if there was, then we would pull items from those existing measures to address those domains. We would write new items if there were gaps in the measurement framework, again, to make sure that we're not missing anything that's important to AYAs. And then we'd go through the second phase. So the first phase is concept elicitation interview. Second phase was cognitive interviews, which is a think aloud technique. And it's after we've gone through literacy level analysis, translatability review, to make sure that items are not culturally bound, to make sure that items are not idiomatic, to make sure that there's a shared understanding that these items are accessible. Mm -hmm. in a way to patients and we go through cognitive interviews because we think we ended up with good items but we need a ways to kind of feed it back to us yes. and it, you need their voice 100 percent. yes so we say put it in your own words to make sure that it has comprehensibility 
across the, and again, for this cognitive interviews, we would recruit adolescents, emerging adults, and young adults. And from those interviews, winnowed the items down a little bit more. So we've got this item pool. Still, it's a lot of items across, you know, it's almost 50 items for each of those domains. And the next phase is larger scale calibration testing. So close to 1500 participants, that includes AYAs with cancer, AYAs without cancer, and caregivers of AYAs to really validate these items, to look at them psychometrically, to identify items that from a we call it differential item function, so items where there might be a particular level of item bias, where different groups understand the items different. It's, it's not different groups have different baseline levels of this construct, but it's they interpret the item differently. That can be an area where it can be a potential problem for the item, and we look at differences by AYA subgroup, by sex, by education level, and also race and ethnicity. Right. Okay. So let's put all of this into practice. And I loved at the end of the session, they did a poll of Mm -hmm. the healthcare professionals, nonprofit professionals in the room of how to ask, when to ask. What is some good advice that you could give to healthcare professionals who are listening today on when to approach this subject and what is the right way or good way to ask? about quality of life and making sure that these aspects are getting covered and that the healthcare professionals are listening to the patient voice. Yeah. That may be the most important question. Yes. Because it's not enough to think about developing these PROs for descriptive purposes. We really need to think about how we move from description to action. The challenge is you don't want to ask about something that you're not ready to intervene on. Right. right. That's a disservice to our patients and that's a disservice to their families. We want to make sure that questions that we ask about, they have meaningful scores, they have meaningful thresholds or cut points so that if there are elevations, if there are significant changes, that those significant changes mean something in the sense that, okay, this should alert a referral perhaps to another provider within our system to follow up with a patient, whether it's high levels of financial hardship and maybe it alerts a referral to a financial patient navigator or concerns around body image that might alert a referral to a psychosocial provider or concerns around fertility and potential infertility where a patient might want to talk to a reproductive endocrinologist, for example. So there's multiple aspects to think about here that are linked to what are meaningful thresholds for these items one to what are meaningful referral pathways to these items and so three i would probably say that it depends i mean when we think about the right way to ask a patient it depends on where they're at in their cancer treatment trajectory it depends on what treatment they're receiving it depends on a host of other perhaps we might say individual difference, individual clinical or sociodemographic characteristics. There's been increasing and understandable efforts around social determinants of health in recognizing the potential deficits that AYAs might have around social resources and making sure that, again, I talked about referral pathways earlier, making sure that AYAs might have access to social workers if there are aspects about their social environment where they live, work, and play is sometimes how it's referred to. 
that may be impacting their receipt of good care and their access to treatment, to follow-up appointments. So it may be opportunities around that for AYAs. But when I say it depends, I think, and I made this point during our session, is with many aspects of AYAs, there isn't one size that fits all. So I think there is a core approach that's helpful to be used for health-related quality of life assessment across all AYAs. The work that Dr. Mike Roth and Dr. Susan Parsons have done, that it's part of the National Clinical Trials Network, AYA PRO Task Force, which I was part of, they did a great job of identifying, here are some core, this is a core measurement approach that yes. we should use. Recommending the AYA Health Status Profile, which is a collection of brief, important dimensions of health-related quality of life for AYAs. We haven't even talked about symptom severity with the PRO, CTCAE. Yes. But that's critically important for AYAs that are receiving therapeutic treatments and thinking about the toxicities that they're receiving. So there's brief items that are recommended as part of that. And then you supplement that. This is the de it depends part. You supplement that with individual measures or individual items that are really tailored to the patient experience. Yes. I mentioned in response to that, I thought a great question from one of our colleagues from Australia that what I see as a potential future frontier is thinking about PROs as precision PROs, mm -hmm. which gives us that flexibility to make sure that what we're doing is really tailored to unique aspects of a patient's social demographic, yes. clinical characteristics, their, as well as their patient priorities. Yes. So it, when we think about clinical characteristics, we often think about healthcare provider priorities, and that's important, but what are the patient priorities in this experience, and how can that be brought into the conversation? And so if we assess that, we give the opportunity for that voice to be represented in the clinical care space. Yes, absolutely. Now, let's discuss resources. So for the healthcare professionals listening today, where can they go? What can they look at to find more information on quality of life for young adults? Do you have published studies that they are able to look at for the PROMISE study? I do. So we've been really fortunate, even though the project has taken, yes. you know, <laughs> this project is behind via timeline. We've been very productive. We have a fantastic team. You heard me rave about them dur yes. during the talk. It's just a great group of multidisciplinary, multi-institutional providers. It really does take a village in, in this place. We published 15 manuscripts and counting with data direct from this project as well as data or initiatives that have been informed by this work as well. So that's available through PubMed, healthmeasures.net. Even though it's not AYA specific, it's an NIH resource that's focused on the four major item banking efforts across Promise, NIH Promise, NIH Toolbox, Ask Me, which is for sickle cell disease, and NeuroQual. So through healthmeasures.net, there's a wealth of information around NIH Promise that's available. And then I also mentioned work that was funded by the Childhood Cancer Data Initiative from Dr. Mike Roth and Dr. Susan Parsons, who co-led the National Clinical Trials Network AYA PRO Working Group. We published a paper from that initiative in JNCI that's available with our recommendations as a starting point for if you don't know what to use, you don't know what measures are valid, reliable, this is a good starting point for both PRO, CTCAE, as well as 
our AYA health status profile, which is promise based, and it has built in flexibility um, based on, we have some recommendations in there around frequency and, and timeliness of these assessments, as well as how you might want to complement these measures. So th those would be, I think, three good starting points. Okay, those are great. Thank you so much, Dr. Salzman, for joining us today at this live event. We're so excited to have you and really appreciate you telling us all about the PROMISE study and sharing all about quality of life for patients. So appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Alyssa. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to this informative episode. For a listing of all of our healthcare professional continuing education accredited activities, podcasts, and other healthcare professional resources, including a fact sheet on blood cancer survivorship, treatment, and ongoing patient care, visit lls.org forward slash CE. For any questions or to refer a patient, please contact our Information Resource Center by calling 1-800-955-4572. Information specialists provide personalized one-on-one -on -one support to help patients learn about disease, treatments, financial, and other support resources. I encourage you to sign up to receive notification of future podcast episodes by subscribing at treatingbloodcancers.org. LLS also provides resources for patients, survivors, and their families, including a series of podcasts at lls.org forward slash support. We look forward to you joining us on future podcasts. Thanks for listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We can be found on iTunes and other podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.treatingbloodcancers.org and provide your suggestions for future topics. Visit our archive section on our website for other great podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and on Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And access our professional continuing education activities by visiting lls.org CE. Let's keep the conversation going. Until next time.